Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning again, and temptation. Did your mom ever try to protect you from temptation? Do everything she could to keep you away? I, when I was little, my mom, we, we lived across this uh, very busy road, very busy thoroughfare, and there was a store on both corners of our block, you know, and, and they all had good stuff in them, stuff that a six-year-old wanted. But my mom would plant me on the side of the road, and she would say, you do not cross this road until you listen do you hear anything? No, ma'am. Now look. Left, right. No, now look again. Left. I mean, you know, it could take like an hour while you're getting ready to get across the world. And then you don't hear anything. You don't see anything. Run! <laughs> and just run across the road to get to it. And how many of you were told, hey, you cannot go in the ocean until 30 minutes after you have eaten? Have you been told that? Yeah, not true. I don't know. You know, I think my mom said three hours. And you can miss a lot of waves in three hours. But they did everything they could, you know, uh, to try to keep us safe. And, and here we are in this series on temptation. Last week, Brian and Lauren did an absolutely wonderful job starting this for us. And last week, we learned from them that it's not a sin to be tempted, uh, that everyone will find themselves at some point in time tempted by something, and there is no sin in that in the temptation, we learn that uh, we are never above temptation. The minute that you think you have risen above all temptation, is that's a dangerous moment in time. And so none of us are, uh, we're immune to temptation. And we found out that you will be, uh, that God will never tempt you. And he may test you, but God will never tempt you. So when you find yourselves in a place of temptation, you go, God, why are you doing, you know, it's not him doing that to you. Now, there is another entity involved in that, and, uh, but it's not God tempting you. And then last we learned that uh, there is always a way out, that you don't have to fall to temptation. There is some way of exit. And so we're going to spend a month in this, and we're going to look at different ways to make a quick exit to deal with temptation. This is an honest, uh, this is an honest sermon. Actually, it's one sermon I don't really like. You know, it, it's, uh, uh, it's just a difficult because pe- nobody wants to admit they're tempted. Nobody wants to admit that, like this morning, some of you are in the very center of a, like a temptation. There's something going on in your life right now that is pulling and wooing at you. And you feel yourself weakening and wanting to give in to it. And, and we just, we church people, for some reason, we're all good when we get together. You ever notice that? It's like... We're all good. We're all good. I'm good. You're good. We're good. We're all good. And, and we, don't want to, we don't want to admit that, that maybe we've got this pull going on. So I hope that through this, this next month that, uh, you know, we're going to get some help with dealing with temptation and also that we can become, you know, to a, get to a place where we can open up maybe with one another even more so. We're going to be over in 1 Corinthians 10 as our series text this morning. It's in your handout as well. 
uh, if you want to take the handout, there are fill-ins and that you can uh, follow along with and put. But let's just read this first, and then I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll jump into this. 1 Corinthians 10, let's start at verse 12. Here we go. So if you think, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Uh, help me today, Lord, to, um, for us to deal with this in such a way that when we walk out of here this morning, we can go, I got some help today in dealing with the things that would try to harass me and pull me into an unhealthy life. So, Father, breathe life on your word. Give us ears to hear. And Holy Spirit, come and do your good work in us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's another question of this that, that I immediately thought of. I don't know about you, but and that is, why is the temptation bad? Why is it bad? Because I bet there's some of you in here that go, temptation's pretty fun. I wouldn't be tempted by it if it wasn't fun. If I didn't enjoy it, it would have no pull on me. It would have no pleasure for me. But yet it does have a pull. And this scripture that we just read was written to a church in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a beach town. Corinth, Corinth was a town that was known for its affluence, for money-making. It was also known for its party central atmosphere. A matter of fact, it was not made up of mostly Jewish people. So the people that lived in Corinth and the people that were a part of this church that Paul's writing this letter to, they didn't have a history in knowing what was right and wrong from God's perspective necessarily. These were pagans like you were at one time and like I was at one time. Some of us were beach pagans. I mean, we lived at the beach, and we did what we wanted to, and we didn't know there was much wrong with it, and we just did it. And then suddenly Jesus, suddenly Jesus shows up in our lives, and we are just amazed at who he is, and it overwhelms our life, and we come to the point to we say, I would give up anything just to know who him and to know him personally and to walk with him and to get to know him and have him as a friend and Lord I'll do anything and then Jesus starts working with us and he goes hey that's not good for you you see temptation is not just God going I'm a party pooper I mean that's what we think a lot of times we think that hey God's just a big party pooper he says don't do that don't do this don't do that you know and so after a while you can't do anything that's fun you know what all I can do is go to church and here don't do this and don't do that how much fun is that but that's not that's not it. You see, God is much more practical and purposeful in his directions to us. When you think about it, the things that we are most tempted by are usually like blown out of proportion things that are really good for us. Sex. Sex is good for you. It was given. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I had to ask for in the first service. I had to ask. I said, come on, man. Come on, man. I do. Okay. Sex is a gift from God. Right? Absolutely wonderful, phenomenal, awesome gift. No more amens. Come on. You you could get me preaching here, guys, if you just jump on board a little bit with me. And uh, it is a wonderful gift so that a husband and a wife can, can celebrate 
with passion and it's a picture of Christ in the church and all you know all that fires in our brains and our bodies through it are just like an explosion of happiness and and it's a great gift to to be able to bond a couple together in celebration uh, but what happens it gets taken out of out of context and this is exactly what the enemy the devil wants to do is take it out of context blow it up and make it just another behavior make it just another act instead of it being something very special and very beautiful for a certain place and time and so temptation is something that's beyond what is God's best but usually it's grounded in something really good but it's taken out of context Jesus made some very good wine at the first wedding I mean, the wedding is a great celebration. They run out of wine, and Jesus just doesn't make some cheap rock and roll grape. That was the cheap one in my day. Rock and roll grape wine or Thunderbird or, you know, I think you get five gallons for 50 cents or something like this, you know. Uh, you know. But Jesus didn't do that because it was a celebration, and the good things on earth that were given were given for celebration. And Jesus goes, and he makes the absolute best wine that they could have. But along comes the enemy, along comes the devil, and what does he do? He perverts something that is to be used for a celebration, even something that is a picture of his blood that is in the wine. There's life. There's a whole science to communion and wine that we haven't talked about here. But take something that's good when it's used the way God says for it to be used, and he blows it out of proportion. And instead of us celebrating with it, it takes us, and it starts using us. And so God is so smart and so wise. He's like, look, I don't want you to fall to that temptation. I want to help you enjoy life and enjoy life well the way I want you to. And you just take this right on down from money and greed. There's so much we can do with money, so much good. We can help people. We can uh, support missions. We can reach students. We can help people who don't have enough to even take care of their basic necessities. Uh, We can do all kind of good things with money, or we can let money get us, and then all of a sudden we are, are possessed with it, and there's not enough to be had. We just have to have more, and have to have more, and have to have more, and now instead of having money so I could have more time to be with my family, I've got to have more money, which means less time with my family, and suddenly it becomes a vice, and it becomes a great temptation that robs us of the very thing God had given it to us for to bless us with, and that's all a ploy of the devil. Just to try to come, and the scripture says, kill, kill, steal, and destroy. To rob. He's a liar. And he wants to rob from us everything that's good. But Jesus is out to restore and to buy back everything that was robbed from us. All of it. Every bit of it. He's coming back to restore. And he's doing that through his spirit, through his church. And so we've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with temptation. Now, this scripture again being written to these guys in Corinth, they had no idea, you know, why 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 should I not give in to temptation? Because in their culture, the more you could party and be the party animal and the more you could do and just blow it out of proportion, the more people admired you for. It sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? And uh we, I mean, the, the, we're more like we were. We're more than, than we're more now than we've ever been like we were. <laughs> You know, when you go back to this time. And so Paul steps into this culture of Gentiles and pagans who have come to know Christ in this church. And he says, listen, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with this temptation. 
because God has so much better for you guys. So much better. And so that's, where the, that's why the letter is written. That's why he's writing it. He's writing it to Myrtle Beach. He's writing it to those of us, you know, who have been in this particular type of culture for uh, a long time. So when are we most tempted? This is in your handout if you want to follow along. You should have a pen there as well. When am I most susceptible to temptation? Your first feeling is this. When I have experienced great disappointment. When I have experienced great disappointment. That's a time when we tend to question God. Why aren't you here? Why did you let this happen? Uh, you're weak. Maybe you've, you've been through a, a, a battle in your life of some sort. And, you know, Jesus faced this. Uh, over in Luke 4, Jesus was about to be baptized. And he's standing there with John the Baptist. And, and uh, John baptizes him. What a, what a glorious moment this must have been. John baptizes Jesus and this something happens. I mean, like a dove coming down out of heaven. It was a visceral moment. It was something to be experienced. I mean, it was like one of those things you don't forget. And Jesus senses the presence of the Father come in the Holy Spirit upon him. And not only that, he hears the voice of God. Now, that's a high point, isn't it? He hears the voice of his father say, this is my son and whom I am well pleased. And just and it says he keeps praying in that passage. And just as soon as that hits, what happens? He is led out into the desert, a dry place to be tempted for 40 days. And uh, in that 40 days, I think we find a place, if it, for us anyway, if it was us, it would have been a great moment of disappointment because we've gone from a big high down to a big low. Like, where is God now? I'm out here in the dry places. I just heard his voice. I just felt his presence. I just went through this baptism thing, and now all of a sudden I was wet. Now it's dry. It's thirsty. There's no food. What is going on? That's what we would be doing, right? Jesus gives us an example, though. And, and over in Luke 4 and verses 3 through 4, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God. When the devil does that, doesn't he? If you are. If you ever hear those voices in your head, like if you are a Christian, if you were a Christian. Hearing that kind of stuff, those are attacks. That's not God speaking to you. If you were. That's not him. That's another entity, all right, speaking to you. If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to turn into bread. In other words, you're hungry. If you're God, do something about it. And that's the way we can feel at times. We can feel like I need something other than God. I need something other than God right now. God is just not getting it done for me. I need something other than God. And then in Luke 4, 5 through 8, I read, I will give you... This is the devil to Jesus. I will give you all the authority and splendor if you worship me. It will be yours. All you have to do is fall down. And Jesus looks back at the devil and he says, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, I need more than God is currently giving me. Have you ever been there? Spot in your life where you're like, God's just not coming through for me right now. That's a very tempting moment of disappointment because you are disappointed in God's provisions. 
Why isn't he providing for me right now? And you can make a move toward providing for yourself right then, somehow. If I can just dull the pain, this is, I'm in the desert. Nobody sees me. It's dry. I'm lonely. I'm hungry. I'm tired. God, you're just not meeting my need right now, so I'm going to get it met another way. Very easy to be pulled aside when we're in a disappointing place. Of course, Jesus wasn't pulled aside. He just responded to him, no. You know, shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then in Luke 4, 9 through 13, the devil comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. He takes him to the highest pinnacle, pinnacle of the temple and he says, Throw yourself off. And if you do, then I'm going to cause all the, all the empires and all the kingdoms and all the world to come and worship you. Well, that's going to happen anyway, isn't it, one day? But right then, there was a shortcut. There's a shortcut offered to Jesus right there in the midst of his most vulnerable moment in the desert. But Jesus says back to him, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test him. And I'm not going to test him right now either. I'm not. And that is, we get to a place in our disappointment where we believe we need proof that God will provide and protect us. Like, you're not providing for me right now. You're not protecting me right now. I am really disappointed, and that's a really shaky place to be because you could make some decisions that you may regret for a long time after that. So there's disappointing times when we're most susceptible, but also... Your next one is this. We also have a very susceptible time when we are at the pinnacle of our successes. When I have experienced great success, I can be very vulnerable. Now, this might seem a little odd to some of us because we think, no, man, when I'm on the top of the world, that's when I can withstand everything. Not true. When you're on top of the world, you feel like you're a king of the world. <laughs> you feel like you can take on anything. You can withstand anything. You know, I am, I'm just full of myself. This is good. There's a story, it's a sad story, but what an appropriate story over in 2 Samuel and the 11th chapter. 2 Samuel 11, where a guy named David, you guys have heard of King David before, right? King David, very famous person in the Bible. As a matter of fact, King David is known as a man after God's own heart. Jesus is known as the son of David. David was a warrior. I mean, a man's man, a warrior who fought battles, won battles, who was attacked over and over and over again, but came back out on top. Uh, He was chased by another king, but he would not raise his hand to that king, and he stayed faithful to what God told him to do. And now he is on the verge of one last battle. When we get to 2 Samuel 10, one last battle. And if this battle is completed, Israel has peace and everybody can chill and enjoy life. But here's what we read. What do we read in the 11th and the first verse? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Remember this. David remained in Jerusalem. Okay, let's stop right there. This is the season. This is the time. This is the the Arab Spring. This is 
March, Mar, the Roman god of battle and uh, Mars. And so this is the time when the rainy season has ended. It's the best time to go to battle. And so everything is lining up for Israel to just finish this off and to finally have peace in the kingdom. And what does David do? He doesn't go. He doesn't go. He stays in his palace. And remember that first verse. At the time that kings go out to war, he stays at home. He stays at home and he's there and you can imagine he's been fighting. His adrenaline is finally starting to dial back some. He's in his palace. All of his army is out. There's no one there but servants who would do anything in the world he asked for them to do. It's hot. No AC in the palace. He gets up, it's dark in the evening, he gets up and he's like, man, i got to go up on my veranda, up on the, which is the top of their roofs during that period of time. He goes up to his roof, he's walking around outside, and he looks across to the next veranda and he sees the torch lights and he sees this shadow and this figure of a beautiful woman, gorgeous woman disrobing right before him. David's about to enter a battle he wasn't even ready for. All the battles he had fought. All the victories that he had succeeded in. And now he is facing a war in himself that he never saw coming. So he stands there. He stands there and he waits as she disrobes. And he is overtaking. Imagine this warrior king having fought. Having been just tired and now seeing victory at hand. And thinking, I'm at the very pinnacle of my king kingship right now and he looks over and he calls one of his servants and he goes who is that and they go that's Bathsheba that's one of your soldiers wives Uriah his wife he goes go get her for me none of Joab none of his friends around but these servants will do anything for him they go and get Bathsheba and she was Going through the ritual of cleansing at the time, the reason she was taking, it was probably hot over there too. And I don't think this is any, to put anything on Bathsheba. This is David's deal here. Bathsheba was going through the, the cleansing of her menstrual cycle. It was at the end of it. And so she was taking a bath and uh, he brings her over. He has sex with her. She goes back and then she sends word, I'm pregnant. Now think about this setup. All of his men are out fighting. He's come off of fighting. He sees a beautiful woman. She is at the end of her menstrual cycle, which means she is, you know, she's going to get pregnant. You're about to get pregnant. That means she also has not had a child by Uriah. And so Uriah is off at war. There is no way to get around this now. How's he going to hide this? She gets pregnant. And you see this at the pinnacle of success. So he says, call Uriah to come back to the, to the, you know, to the palace and, and I'll send him home to be with his wife and then you know, they can make love and then he'll think it's my, you know, his, his. And so Uriah comes in, but being the man that Uriah is, Uriah goes, I'm not going over and spending time with my wife. The rest of my soldiers and my bosses, Joab and all the men that lead our troops, they're all fighting. They're sleeping on the ground. They don't have enough food, enough water. I'm not going over to my wife. And so he sleeps on the ground outside of the palace on the stone with his fellow soldiers. What a man of integrity. But all this does is shut off any possibility of David being able to blame this on anybody else. 
So the deception continues as temptation often does. It leads from one thing to the next if we don't stop it. And so Uriah goes back and he sends word. David sends words to Joab. He says, listen, I want you to charge forth. Put, Joab, uh, put Uriah at the front of the army and push forward. And when you get completely out there, send the signal for all the troops to pull back and leave Uriah hanging in front of the enemies. And that's exactly what he does. He pulls back, and there's Uriah, and he gets killed. So David calls a little bit later and pulls her in, you know, gives a little time, and then gets Bathsheba, marries her, and brings her into his house. So we've gone from a wonderful, victorious army general standing on this beautiful palace to now not only has he committed adultery, he has now had a man killed, murder now. This is the way it's gone. And before it's all over, God will send a prophet to David and will expose him. And David responds the correct way. He repents. He owns it. He owns it, but it still costs him. It still costs his family. It still costs 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 costs, costs <laughs> Israel Southern. Thank you. Uh, it costs Israel, and you know what? It's still costing today. Still to this day, it is still costing Israel and the world. Now, so when you go to your friends and we always, how you doing? And you go, great. Go, really? (laughs) Because, you know, when you're at some of your greatest times, that's when you're most vulnerable. When you're most vulnerable. Now, I want to give you just a few helps here as we pull this to a close. And these are your last fill-ins. And that is, what can we do about this? Well, 4-7. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can you guys say that? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, there you go. That's an easy verse to memorize, right? James 4, 7, you can get that down. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Your first help here is what can we do? How can we resist the devil? How can we submit ourselves to God? Your first one is this, obey God. Now, okay, not two months from now. Obey now, right now, in the moment. I mean, if you're single or or whatever, and you go, I just can't, I cannot be sexually celibate for all my life. Well, how about right now? This moment, right now. Can you say yes? I can say no to sex outside of God's healthy uh, parameters can you do it right now this very moment because what gets us what stops us is when we think so far out it's going to cost us so much we're like i can never do that but can you do right now can you obey right now i was reading an article by a uh, a seal and uh, they asked him they said how in the world do you get out of your rack to run another 15 miles uh, by the time they finish their running they will have ran the distance of, of Miami to New York City and uh, he says i can't i can't run another 15 miles and he says whenever they call me whenever we get that whistle at 4 or 2 in the morning whenever it is when i hear the whistle here's what i think i can put one foot outside of my rack i can do that And then when I'm there, I go, I can put another foot outside of the rack. He said, I don't say, okay, I'm ready to run 15 miles. Nope, I can do this now. 
And by the time he finishes doing this now, he has run his 15 miles and he's back. Obey now. Right now. Think about that. In the moment, the minute that occurs to you, obey now. One step. One step out will lead to the 15 miles. Don't think about the 15 miles. Obey now. Second one is this. Slow down. (laughs) Slow down and think. Slow down and think when you're in a place of temptation. I mean, think. Are you going to feel great about this tomorrow morning? Are you going to feel good about this? Is this something that your family and your friends are going to be proud of if they found out about it? Or would you run to them and go, listen to this and tell them, slow down and think. And is this going to... Is this going to help you develop your relationship with God? Slow it down because temptation has a way of just like a, it's like an avalanche that just moves on and carries us and carries us till suddenly some of us go, I don't know how I got here. But if you backed it up a ways, you'd see exactly. David, he knows exactly how he got to where he was. So slow it down. Think, think. And your next one is fill up. Fill up, meditate. Fill up, meditate. Don't medicate. (laughs) Fill up. Fill up with God's word. Fill up with what his encouragement is to you. Like you can, you know, I'm with you. I said if you submit yourself to me and if you resist the devil, he is going to leave you. So submit to me. You fill up with God's word. That James 4, 7 is a great verse for you to memorize. When you're laying in bed at night and you want to let your mind go somewhere that it shouldn't go, you take it back and you start remembering some scriptures. Remember the story of David. Think about him. Think of Jesus in John 4 or Luke 4 and how he dealt with it. Think of the stories, the scripture. The people you know who have been through tough times and have made it. Think of those and get your mind going the right way. Meditate. Did you know if you spend 12 minutes a day for eight weeks praying that you can rewire your brain? 12 minutes for eight weeks. And I'm talking about serious. Just just take 12 minutes during the day. At some point, pull yourself away and pray to God and say, Lord, I, I want to know you. I want to know you fully. I, I want to be faithful. I want to be loyal. And I want to enjoy things the way you want me to enjoy them in a healthy way. And you continue to press into that, that your expectations, even the things that you are pulled, this is, this is science. I read these books about how your brain changes, you know, the plasticity of your brain and, and all of that. And this is a way that you, you find new pathways in the brain that will wire you to go a different direction. But listen to this quote. Up to 99% of the decisions you make are based on what you have built and automated into your non-conscious metacognitive level. You cannot sit back and wait to be happy and healthy and have a great thought life. You have to make the choice to make this happen. So you think on the right things. And lastly, you buddy up with someone and you share. Get with someone. Because the desert's a dark place and it's an easy place to hide in the, in the sandstorm. And sin and temptation loves darkness. Loves it. If you've got anything in your life that wants to thrive in darkness, it's something that needs to be brought out into the light. Find a buddy. Find a friend. That's why church is so important. Get with someone. 
share it. I mean, did you know in here right now that there's not a person in here who hasn't been tempted? I mean, look around this room. These people. Yep. Did you know there's not a person in this room who hasn't been tempted and fought off temptation in this room? Look around this room. Yep. Did you know there's not a person in this room who hasn't been tempted and has fallen to temptation? That's right. Look around this room. That's right. Every single one of us. That's right. So you're in the right place today. You're okay. That's right. In the first service, I was asking for people to stand who, were, who had to deal with temptation, and I was the only one standing. Are you going to leave me here this time too, second service? That's right. We've got to be there with each other. Stand with one another. Support one another. Bring things into the light. That is the way that we learn to live how God wants us to live because it's a better life living it the way he has it for us. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.